Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Hey, today I want to talk about God calling women to ministry. It's a controversial subject to some people, but I'm going to take it on today. How many know that God calls women too? Yeah. But that's what I'm going to talk about and I think I'm going to call it um, not disqualified. Or God calls women too. We'll see by the end, okay? One of those two. But before we do, there was a story I heard. You may have heard this, this funny story before. It's a joke. That this man goes to heaven and there was two lines to get into heaven. You know, the first line uh, was labeled men who were dominated by their wives. And uh, there was a second line that was, uh, that was labeled men who were the, were the head of the household. And uh, the first line, men who were dominated by their lives, had thousands and tens of thousands of people in line. I mean, it was a long line. And then the second line had this one little old man, and he was standing in there, men who were the head of their household. And so when the guy got to heaven, he gets up there, and he goes to the front of the line up to this one man, and he says, surely this isn't right. He says, uh, um, why is there thousands of people in this line and there's only one person in this line over here. And he goes, I don't know. My wife told me to stand here. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> Today's message, I believe, is going to be called God Calls Women Too or Not Disqualified. I'm going to get do three things in this. And I want you to, you might want to take notes on this, okay? I'm going to do three things. Number one, I want to tell you what we believe about men and women in ministry and in leadership. Now, I've had a lot of questions people have asked me, well, doesn't the Bible say this? What about this? We're going to tell you what, what I believe, what we believe. Number two, I want to talk about two controversial texts, the two controversial texts in the Bible uh, that people will use against women in le- leadership and against women in ministry. And then number three, I want to give you some biblical examples uh, of that, okay? So that's, that's the road. That's where we're going. Will you take this journey with me? We're going to go through this. Okay. This is not intended for controversy. It's not intended for debate. I'm not going to sit here and argue. I'm just telling you what I see in the word. I'm not going to tell you, well, you know, some people will sit around, well, what I believe, well, what I believe. You know, at the end of the day, I don't really care what you believe. And you don't really care what I believe. Let's go back to see what God says in his word. Amen? And let's see if we can interpret what God says in his word. So this is not some women's lib. Uh, message. This is not some feminist message. This is not some women are suppressed and put down. So we're going to stand up and, you know, um, burn anything, okay? I don't like to argue about all that. It's a tough subject. Somebody asked me, why do you, you want to tackle all these tough subjects? Because I believe it will help people. That's why. I believe it will help people. And so I want to establish a foundation and uh, not only talk about what we believe, but why we believe it. Also, I, the reason I want to tackle it is because I, wanna, I, I believe that a lot of women need to be released in their calling and in their ministry of leadership as well. Not, all, no, not everybody's called to leadership, but some are. And so, um, but would you keep your heart and your ears open? Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And notice those ears were in your heart, not in your head. Your heads are like, oh, my gosh, I can't get my head around it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your head, your own understanding, your reasoning, right? And also Jesus said your traditions have made the word of God of no effect. 
Sometimes, well, what I was taught was, well, that what I was taught can hold you back every day of your life. Why don't we just keep our heart open, keep our heart open and see what the word says about things. Would you do that with me this morning? Okay, so you may need to let go of a sacred cow or some traditions this morning, but, but I'm going to open up. Hey, I want to talk about disqualified, being disqualified. I remember, you know, this February, there was the Winter Olympics, and I was reading an article about the Winter Olympics that there was five women ski jumpers who uh, were disqualified at the Olympics. In fact, put this picture up here. There was a picture of their disappointment. Five women, they were from four different countries, top competing countries that were disqualified, that were uh, uh, ski jumpers, and they were all disqualified at the Olympics. They did all their training, trained probably since they were little little girls, and they, they uh, you know, they worked and they worked and they worked and they beat out the, the, the best of them to get to the very top of their country, and they get all the way to the competition, and it's competition day, and they find out, five of them, that they were disqualified. In fact, uh, a couple of them said, I just, I wore this same exact thing two days ago in competition. Why am I disqualified? Well, they said, you know, it was, it was, too, it was too baggy, it was too big, and it could give them an unfair competition. Uh, advantage to be able to win in this, so they disqualified them because of their jumpsuits. They were too large. The controversy ended up becoming the main topic of the day. Instead of uh, cheering on and championing the countries and the racers and being excited about it, all anyone was talking about was the controversy that they were disqualified, and should they be disqualified, and why? Do you know that sometimes in church history, when, when, the, when the subject of women come up, that we talk more about the controversy of, well, should we let our women do this, or should we do this, or should they not, or those people let women, and those people don't. We talk so much about the controversy that we miss out on the contribution and the blessing that God has called through half or more than half of the body of Christ. And so that's why I want to talk about it. In fact, sometimes there, I, I consider doing a whole series about it, okay, but I'm not. I do, want, I do want to touch on it. Let me tell you what we believe, okay? We believe in recognizing and supporting the gifts and graces of women in ministry. Um, we also believe that God can and does use women to minister in all aspects of, of ministry throughout the church. He can and he does. We also believe that God gave us an example of a family unit to serve as a model for the church. And in Ephesians chapter 5, it gives us a picture of a father as the head of the house and a mother. Uh, the father serves his family as a servant leader, not as someone dominant and to lord over, but someone who serves his family. Um, as the leader of the household. That's why we see so many men who are senior pastors. You know, you say, is it just because they're more qualified? No, because there is an example in the word of a home. And, and God did call men to step up and lead in that. Also, that's not to say that women can't lead a home. How many of you know there's a lot of women leading homes today? Raising kids today. Raising families, setting principles, setting things in order. It's not to say that women can't lead a home, as many people do, or it's not to say that women can't pastor a church. But like the biblical family model, men and women can both minister in those roles. God has called them, in the roles that God has called them to, 
and reach their full potential in the gifts. That would include teaching. That would include leading. That would include prophesying and many other aspects of the, of the church. As long as they continue to demonstrate a lifestyle that qualifies biblically, as all ministers would need to demonstrate that. Men and women. Amen? Okay. We believe in submission to the authority that God places within the church. God did set authority and leaders within the church, and we consider all ministry positions and opportunities open for both men and women as the Lord calls. Okay? That's what we believe. Now, let me go back to equality. Equality. Men and women are created equal in the eyes of God. I think it's important for us to know that. Um, it is clear in the Bible that there's no partiality with God. Would somebody say amen today? Yeah. He is no respecter of persons. It says this in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 11. There's no partiality with God. Acts, chapter 10, verse 34. Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 9. I won't read them all to you. But there's no partiality with God. We believe that men and women were created equal in the eyes of God. Someone, A woman said, praise God, back there. Now, in the very beginning, I ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. If we look at the, where men and women show up there, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Notice, male and female. Somebody say male and female. He created them. Man didn't create woman. God created man, and God created woman. Male and female, he created them. It says in verse 28, then God blessed them. Say, God blessed them. Notice, it, he didn't just bless the man. Tell the man, if you want to bless the woman, you can. No, God blessed both of them. It's like they both showed up and God gave them both. He blessed them both. He blessed them. And God said to them, I want you to notice, to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Who did he say have dominion to? Both. Did he just say it to the man? No, he gave authority and dominion to both the man and the woman. He said to the man and woman, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to speak blessing over you. And I'm going to give you a command to subdue the earth and to have dominion over the earth. Man and woman have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that that uh, moves on the earth. God blessed both of them. He spoke to both of them and gave them both dominion. Then we look at the beginning of the church. If you look at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. How many were in the room? There was about 120 that were in the room. It was filled with men and it was filled with women as well. Now, did the Bible say that God came and the Holy Spirit came and rested upon just the men? No, it says... When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, men and women, were all with one accord in one place. There was 120 that were there. There was men and women. In uh, verse 3, it says, then there appeared to them. Who is that? Can you just say men and women? Yeah. I told you we're going to dialogue a little bit here. Uh, then there appeared to them, men and women divided tongues as a fire, and they sat upon each of them, and they, men and women, were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I want... To remind you, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not just so that you can feel better about God. Oh, I got a chill. Oh, I got a goosebump. Oh, I got a Holy Ghost uh, uh, anointing. No, no, no. It was empowered to do something for the Lord. 
Well, if God comes and gives you the same empowerment as the person next to you, he must have something for you and for them. Did, God, did the Holy Spirit give the same empowerment to men as he did to women? He did. He empowered both of them with the same Holy Spirit. Okay? So it says it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. They all began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them others. So the Holy Spirit filled all of them and just like uh, and empowered all of them. And just like in Genesis' account that they were all given authority, I want you to notice in the book of Acts, they were all given empowerment. He didn't, he didn't have, there's male anointing and there's female anointing. There's male empowerment and there's female empowerment. Okay? But, but what did he do? He, at the beginning, he gave them authority over all the earth, right? And in, here in the book of Acts, when he started the church, he gave men and women at the same time, they're all sitting in the same room, empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And they... Um, they, they all spoke and they all had authority. So throughout the New Testament, both men and women participated in a variety of ministry, including prophecy, teaching, and leadership. Acts chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, and this is a key scripture. It says, but this is what was spoken of the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Can you say all flesh? Did he say, I'll pour out my spirit on men? No, he said on all flesh, okay? And then he said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, old men shall dream dreams. And on your men servants and on my, on my men servants and on my maid servants, that's men and who serve me and women who serve me, I will pour out my spirit on, on those days. Did God pour out his spirit on just men? Who did he pour out his spirit on? All flesh. And what is it, how does it end that verse? It says, and they shall prophesy. Well, men and women can prophesy. Men and women can prophesy. What is prophecy? Well, when we went over our spiritual gifts um, series last year, prophecy is, is an utterance or it's an, it's an inspired utterance in a known tongue. An inspired utterance in a known tongue. In other words, it's speaking out. It's speaking out something that you're catching from God. There's an, it, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're speaking out. So he said, my sons and my daughters shall prophesy. And he didn't make a qualification here and say, by the way, but the women, you need to shut up. Because it's really the men's words that count. Did he say that? No, he said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Um, Acts chapter 21 verse, so women can prophesy. We agree on that? Women can prophesy. Acts 21 verse 9, it says this, now this man who was the evangelist Philip, he had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Didn't say they were prophets, but it said they prophesied. Four virgin daughters who prophesied. So women can prophesy. Women can teach. Women can teach. If you look over at Acts chapter 18 verse 26, it says, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. This was uh, Apollos in the Bible. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And by the way, Paulus, it says before that that he's an eloquent man and he's a mighty man in Scripture. So this wasn't some like new, new person who just came in and popped in and was like, let me tell you about the Bible. And you're like, Joker, you don't know what you're talking about. No, this man 
was eloquent and mighty in Scripture. It says, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. That's the place where they'd learn. And it says, and when Aquila and Priscilla, by the way, they're married, and one's a man and one's a woman. Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They, who? Aquila and Priscilla, took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I want you to notice that not only did Aquila talk with Apollos, who was a very eloquent and mighty man in Scripture, but Priscilla taught Apollos. And it doesn't say she shouldn't have done it, she was out of line, but she, no, no, no. She taught, and the Bible writes up about, both of them took him aside, and they taught him a better way. Both Aquila and Priscilla, too, um, they took him aside and explained God's word more accurately to him. Priscilla taught Apollos, and the scripture records it as a good thing. Didn't call her out for doing it. Someone might say, well, that's what she taught one man, but you can't teach multiple men in, in an assembly. You can't. Listen, if a man could teach one, if a woman could teach one, a woman could teach a dozen. I mean, that's like arguing, it's all right to steal $1, but it's not all right to steal $20. Well, no. If it's an infraction with one, if he stepped out of line with one, he stepped out of line with many. She taught a man, and the Bible writes up here about her. I believe it's inconsistent to say in church, because many people have been taught this, that a woman can't teach in a main assembly. Can't teach here, but, but yet 50 feet over there, a woman can teach. Because over there is the kids, and then there's the youth, and there's smaller, there's the women classes, and you could teach over here. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit's touch and anointing is just as much over there as it is in here. In fact, the Bible says really what the church is is where two or three are gathered together in my name. That's where I am. That's where the church is. The church isn't about a building. It's not about what location in the building you are. And it's not about a number. It could be one person. It could be five people. It could be uh, 12 people if they're they're anointed to teach. Also, I think it's inconsistent when we say that women can go be missionaries. Oh, we'll send the women out to be missionaries, and they'll go out, and they'll teach women and men and get hundreds and thousands of people saved, and we'll say they're good missionaries. Oh, but don't come back here and teach men and women here. What's that all about? Tradition? Somebody taught you something that wasn't true? It's tradition? The annex over here is just as holy as the sanctuary. The United States is just as holy as Africa and China over there. If women can teach in other places, women can teach us here as well. Somebody say amen. Okay. Women can lead. Romans chapter 16, verse 7. By the way, I'm going to get to those two controversial things in a minute. What about keep, keep those women silent? I'm going to get to that. Women can lead. Romans chapter 16, verse 7. It says, greet, this is Paul writing to the church of Rome, greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles. I want you to notice that there's a man, and Junia is a feminine name. It's a man and a woman here. And he says, I want you to greet both of them because they're apostles. He calls a woman here an apostle. He says here, who were also in Christ before me. Junia is a feminine, a lady's name, calls her an apostle, along with Andronicus. Paul recognized both of them as, notice, both of them as fellow ministers. 
Both of them as leaders. He recommended. He didn't say, well, there's, there's this guy and then there's his wife. You know, sometimes he lets her out of the, out of the cage to minister. Sometimes he opens up and, and says, I'll stand right here. You, you, you talk and I'll tell you if it's right or not. No, no. He said they're fellow ministers. Come on, loosen up today. Are we okay? Are we okay today? Even if you don't believe me, you can go home and look at it. Or I'll sit and talk with you a little bit more about it. Women can speak in the main assembly. I want you to look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We, women can speak in the main assembly in church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 5, it says, But every woman, somebody say woman, who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Paul was making a point here. Notice, he was talk, they were praying out in the assembly. They were prophesying, speaking an utterance out. And Paul was making a point about whether the head was covered or not. Notice the point wasn't about them not being quiet. The point was about whether their head was covered or not. Okay? They're praying and they're prophesying and he mentions their head. They're not praying. Uh, uh, he mentions their head uncovered. He didn't mention praying and prophesying. Why? Because it was acceptable. It was acceptable. Again, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and they shall prophesy. They shall prophesy in public, men and women. Nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the New Testament do we find conditions and exceptions placed on the distribution of the Holy Spirit or his gift along gender lines. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find that. Some gifts are spontaneous works of the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, some of you may know this or may not know this. They say there's gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which are the gifts of the Spirit as the Spirit wills. You don't own those gifts. You can be used in those gifts, and you can exercise it spontaneously as the Holy Spirit wills. There's gifts of the Father, which are the gifts in Romans chapter 12, which says, you know, that's the gifts of, of prophecy and exhortation and teaching and giving and, uh, and mercy and so on. There's seven gifts there. And then there's the gifts of the Son, okay, which are the gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, and that's the gifts of equipping the apostle, prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher for the equipping of saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Father, and the gifts of the Son, none of those does it say they're for men, they're for man only, they're for woman, they're for gender. No, he pours it out and he gives it as the Holy Spirit wills. All the gifts are given by God for his plans and purposes without regard to social, to economic, or to gender distinctions. Romans chapter 12 verse 6 says, having then, we read it last week, having then gifts according to the grace that was given us. Notice he didn't say gifts according to the gender. Gifts according to the grace that was given us. He says, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So, the, so remember, the gifts are according to the grace, and the grace is released in proportion to our faith. Ladies, today, what I'm trying to do is build your faith. What I'm trying to do is build your faith so that we can see your gifts and your graces flowing and functioning throughout the body of Christ as the Lord wills. And all the men gave a big amen. Yeah. Listen, ladies, you are not disqualified. 
You are not disqualified. The devil would want you to believe that you can't minister. The devil would want you to believe, if I were the devil, I'd want to shut down half the body of Christ too. And say women can't minister. Remember what Paul said in those two places? We're going to get to those right now. God has given women gifts and we want to see them in in full motion in order to serve the body of Christ. I read it last week to close the message and that was in 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 10, it says, God has given each one of you a gift of his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power be to him forever. Women can serve in vital roles throughout the body of Christ. Somebody say amen again. I know I'm having you talk back a lot today. Contrary to what some have been taught, the Apostle Paul was one of the biggest advocates of women in ministry, serving in ministry with him throughout the church. So let's go to these two controversial texts. One is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The other was found in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Okay. Paul wrote both of these texts. One, he wrote to a church, the wild church of Corinth. And the other one, he wrote to um, uh, Pastor Timothy, who was a young pastor, pastoring the Ephesian church. Okay, These are often two quoted Pauline passages written by Paul that have caused heated debate for generations about women in ministry. Let's take the first one. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and, 35, 34 and 35. It says, let your women, he's talking about the Corinthian church, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Somebody I know who's never read the Bible says, what? (laughs) By the way, have you ever, this was a charismatic, wild, like out there church. That's why he's coming and bringing some. Have you ever been to a Pentecostal charismatic church where a woman wasn't speaking? I haven't. <laughs> no. Well, maybe you have. Okay. Well, listen to this. Let your woman, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also said. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Did the Bible say that? Did the apostle Paul write that? He did. Okay, he did. Unfortunately, this passage is used incorrectly many times to justify the position that rejects the biblical role of women in ministry. Looking at the whole letter, uh, you know, in context, looking at the whole letter uh, of 1 Corinthians, we begin to understand that Paul was writing here to a troubled church. He was addressing the excessive disruptions that were going on in service. Excessive disruptions. We're trying to move forward. We're trying to get something done. But there's excessive disruptions. In fact, in verse 26, he said, each of you should have a psalm, a hymn, and a spiritual song to bring. And then verse 26, he also says, and make sure that the psalm edifies other people. Because remember in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about tongues, which edifies you. So hold on to that. But... uh, Prophecy which edifies the church. Make sure that when you speak out and prophesy that it's edifying other people. He's bringing correction. Don't, don't be disruptive for self so that people can look at you and say, what a spiritual person. He's saying make sure it edifies. Verse 27, he says, if you do speak in a tongue, make sure that there's only two or three 
that speak out. I'm talking about tongues and interpretation because when you get to that, make sure that there's an interpretation so that we don't go too far down the line and there's just, it's all, it's a tongue service. Let's make sure that there's an interpretation so that the church can be edified. He goes on and says in verse 29, and make sure that when there is prophecy, that there's prophets, there's people who will judge prophecy. What is he doing? He's bringing some rules of the services so that they don't get too well. And then look at the verse right before he says that the women should keep silent. The verse right before says, for God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. What is he talking about? He's talking about confusion in the service, disruption in the service. He says, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. What is he saying? He's saying, I don't only talk to this church, the Corinthians. I'm talking to all the churches. And there's peace there, peace there, peace there. In the Corinthian church, there ain't no peace. Because y'all are speaking out whenever you want. And it's bringing confusion and disruption. So I'm going to set some rules. Let all things be done decently and in order. In fact, he looks at the very end. It says, Uh, The last verse, he says, let all things be done decently and in order. The issue that Paul was addressing is the confusion that was going on in the service at the church of Corinth. The issue was not women in general. It wasn't women in general uh, being able to participate in a ministry. Not women in general. It was about the confusion that was going on here in this uh, uh, chapter 11 or in the Corinthian church. In fact, as you read, and we read it earlier, as we read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just a few chapters back, Paul talked about women praying and women prophesying. And he didn't say stop it. He just said make sure your head's, co- make sure your head's covered. And then someone might say, well, what's that all about? Are we supposed to cover our heads? Well, so we know, I'll get to that in just a second. So we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he wasn't giving a prohibition of women able to minister out. Because he just said, when you do prophesy and when you do pray, make sure your head's covered, right? If we, in fact, if we interpreted it that way, that women can't, are prohibited for ministry, um, we would see that it doesn't coincide with the rest of the Pauline writings to where he's talking about women ministering and many other times that Paul is affirming women who are ministering as co-workers, as fellow laborers. Because of this, I believe that the context is about excessive disruptions, and about disorder taking place. Another thing is this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, let your women, let your women keep silent. The word women uh, is the Greek word G-Y-N-E. It's pronounced gune, G-Y-N-E, okay? Women, you may know some words that we get from that, okay? It's seen 221 times in the New Testament. But 92 of those times, it's translated wife. A good portion of those times, it's translated wife. So sometimes, some translations will translate many as women. Others will translate it as wife or wives. Okay? I think if it were to say, uh, if it would be easier to understand if it said, let your wife keep quiet in the church. Because if, you're, if she's going to, you want to learn something, go home and talk about those things. Don't, don't have a conversation right in the middle of church. What does that mean? How is that? Because the women oftentimes were more, less educated. It's not all women were educated, but these women, a little bit less educated. They didn't get to go to the synagogues and hear and all the things that the men did. So they're asking questions. And he's saying, why don't you ask the questions at home? I told you to be quiet. I'm trying to set order in church. And then he says... Then he says, they are to be submissive. 
They are to be submissive. The word submissive is the Greek word hypotasso, and it, come, it means just to come under, to come under. They are to be submissive. The Bible doesn't teach that all women are to be submitted to all men. Let me say it again. The Bible does not teach that all women need to be submitted to all men. The Bible does teach that wives are to be submitted to their husbands. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Does the Bible teach that the man, that every man is the head of every woman? Absolutely not. Every man is not the... You, you wouldn't walk up to my wife and say, I don't like what you're wearing today, so I want you to wear this. No, listen, that's my wife. She doesn't dress for you. The, the husband is the head of the wife. All men aren't the head of all women, scripturally. But the husband is the head of a household and the head of a wife. That comes, the reason why people will say that is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was talking about head coverings. Now let me just touch on that for a minute, lest we misinterpret that. Interpret that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. He was explaining why women would traditionally come in and cover their head. It showed, when they came in and covered their head, it showed that they had a covering on their life. They, they didn't just walk in and let their, let their hair blow in the wind and be like, come on, here I am, I'm woman. No, they, they, they were modest. They covered their head. And what would they do? They were saying, I have a covering. I have a covering, okay? Uh, traditionally showed that she was under a covering. She was under her husband. She was under her head. Traditionally, if she walked in and her hair was free-flowing, it would be dishonorable to her head. Who's her head? Her husband. That's why it says she dishonors her head. And you're like, dishonors her head? No, not this head. Her husband. She's dishonoring her husband. If a woman come, comes out and she's just like, come on. No, she's dishonoring. What he was saying was you're dishonoring your husband in this tradition here. The head of the woman is the man, speaking of the wife and the husband. Some have misinterpreted this, though. Men are not above women in the Lord. I said, men are not above women in the Lord. What he's saying is just like Christ is the head of man, man is the head or the covering of his wife, of women, of his wife. That's why the wife should honor her husband in a public setting. Here, the way she honored was by a head covering. By the way, Christ is not only the head of man. Christ is also the head of the woman. Let me make a clarification here. It's not Christ is the head of man and, and, and Christ is not the head of woman. Man's the head of woman. No, he's making a comparison. He's saying, men, just like Christ is your head, he's saying, women, you have a head, so in church, make sure you cover your head so that you don't dishonor your head, your, your husband. But listen, Christ is also the head of women. We're called the body of Christ, and who's the head of the body of Christ? Jesus is the head. Not your husband in the body in the body of Christ. Only in a domestic situation is the husband the head of the wife. Only in a domestic situation is the husband the head of the wife. Men and women are both 
in the body of Christ and they're equal. Now somebody just needs to shake themselves for a minute and say, I don't even know what I believe about all this stuff. Ha <laughs> ha. Should I be teaching this on Sunday morning? Another reason why 1 Corinthians 14, I believe, is talking about wives and not women in general, but wives, is because he goes on to say, if you have a question, ask your husbands at home. Well, if it was just women in general, how would they ask their husbands at home if they don't have a husband? <laughs> how are you going to go home and ask your husband if you don't have a husband? So he was saying, I believe he was addressing wives and husbands and saying, hey, wives, if you're sitting next to your husband and you start asking him a question, just, just tone it down. You can ask him at home. Maybe easier to understand if we read, let your wives be quiet. In fact, in the message, I'll pick the translation and, and uh, listen to this. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, it says, wives, this is the same passage, wives must not disrupt worship, talking when they should be listening, asking questions that would be more appropriate by asking their husbands at home. God's word, God's book of the law guides our manners and customs here. Wives have no license to use the time of worship for unwarranted speaking. Okay? That's the first controversy is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let me go to the second one. The second one, are you with me still today? We okay? You still love me? I love you. I love you. Yeah. Okay. Second, second uh, uh, 1 Timothy Chapter 2, it's the second controversial Pauline passage. Paul's writing to as a young apprentice, Timothy, over the Ephesians church. And he says this, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. <laughs> My mom loved this one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, mom. I love you. Okay. My mom's gone on to be with the Lord now, but she was a good woman. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit... Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Well, this is another one that's troubled leaders and biblical scholars for centuries. Was Paul mandating something for all women across the board and saying all women should be silent in the church? Or was he giving Paul some advice on how to deal with the improper conduct of some of the women that were here in the Ephesian church? Well, let me tell you about the Ephesian church, and I'm just going to point out some scriptures here. Let me tell you about the, the, the some of the women in the Ephesian church were, were dressing sexy, were dressing flashy, were talking out. And let, let me show you. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, it says, In like manner also the, woman should, the women should adorn themselves with modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly. Don't come to show off and attract men. Right? See, the, he's, he's, the reason he's bringing a correction is because that's what some women were doing. Then it says in 1 Timothy 5.13, it says, and besides, they learn to be idle. He's talking about the women. They learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Notice, they don't have anything to do. They're going from house to house, and not only idle, but they're gossiping. They're being busybodies, and they're saying things they ought not to say. What is he doing? He's addressing the women here in Ephesians. He's saying these women need to tone it down. Lazy, wandering around, talking about people, getting in other people's business. Anybody ever known someone like that before? Yeah. So did Paul and so did Timothy. And he was addressing it. And then in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, it says, For this sort, this are the sort, those who creep into household and make captives of gullible women. 
loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts. He describes the women here as gullible, loaded with sin, led away with lust. So what is he saying? You need to tone down your women. You need to tone down the people. He was talking about a group, not to say all women in general need to not say a word. He was saying these women are being disruptive. Do you see what kind of women that he was dealing with? When he says learn in silence, there's different words uh, for this, but the Greek word he uses is the Greek word uh, hesuchia. It's H-E-S-U-C-H-I-A. It just means in quietness, in stillness, undisturbing peace, and to keep one seat. Like we would say, come on, stay under. Don't try to take over. And he's saying, let them learn in silence. Don't try to take over things. Learn in silence. Tone it down. Anybody know what I mean? You ever told someone that? 1 Timothy 2, verse 11, it says, I don't let, this is what Paul said in the message. I'll read it out of the message. He said, I don't let women take over and tell the men what to do. They should study and be quiet and obedient along with everybody else. What is he saying? If you don't know what, what's being said and you're, you're not learned or educated in that, don't, it's not your time to speak out what, what I think is. No, tone it down. Do that later. If you look at the whole text, Paul was giving Timothy some advice on how to confront the heretical teaching and the misconduct that was happening with the women here in church. To view this passage and really to view any other passage uh, in any other context would require us to lay aside the legitimacy of Paul's many references of the ministry of, the ministry of women within the various churches. You'd have to lay aside and say, well, what about this, Paul? And what about that, Paul? And what about this, Paul? And what about that, Paul? See, it would be inconsistent with the principles of biblical interpretation. You know what? When you're interpreting the Bible, it's not just what you think or I think. Here's the, the a main principle of biblical interpretation, that you have to let the Bible interpret the Bible. You can't interpret well, what I think it means. You can't just pull us. Do you know we can pull any scripture out of the Bible, one or two scriptures, and, and make it say just about anything we want? No, but you have to let the Bible. What is the whole scripture? What is he saying? Here's what biblical interpretation is that every scripture must be interpreted in light of what other scriptures say on the same subject. It's got to harmonize with all the other scriptures. Paul was one of the biggest advocates of women in ministry. So he was speaking to those two churches. Let me give you some Bible examples of women in ministry. Again, the debate is really about those two passages that we, we just went over. But there are so many passages of women in ministry um, different than those uh, two passages. Let me give you some examples of some mighty women that were used by God. In the Old Testament, there was Miriam. Remember who Miriam was? Moses' sister. She was used as a prophet during the time of the great Exodus. This is in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 20. Miriam was used as a prophet, not just for women. She was used as a prophet. By the way, remember she, remember they said, we hear from God too. Well, she still had to stay in line with Moses, right? But she was a prophet. Deborah. Deborah was both a prophet and a judge. And was very instrumental in guiding the Lord's army. In Judges 4 and Judges 5. There's Huldah. Huldah in the Old Testament was a prophet and an important contributor of the powerful religious reform under King Josiah over in 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 34. Then we look over the New Testament, the ministry of the early church. 
Contrary, you know, in the, in, the, in the days back then, women did take a back seat to things. But I want you to notice, Paul, he, he spoke of women to step up. So contrary to the norm of women taking a back seat in society, Paul frequently speaks about the contribution of women and calls them partners in ministry. Romans chapter 16, verse 6, he says, Greet Mary, who labored much for us. And uh, Philippians 4, 3, it says, And I urge you, also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. He was saying they, they labored with me. They were with me. At Philippi, at Udias, uh, uh, Udias and at Philippi, both Udias and Sintiq, uh, they were described as fellow workers alongside Paul. He said, they're my fellow workers in Christ. He used the same wording, those, this fellow workers, the Greek, he used the same wording that he described Timothy, and he described Luke, and he described Titus, and he uh, uh, d- described Epaphroditus. He used the same words. They're my fellow workers. They came right alongside me. Romans 16, 1 and 2, he says, I command Phoebe. Remember Phoebe? I command Phoebe, our sister and a servant of the Lord. This word servant is the Greek word diakonos. It means servant, but he's the same reference that he uses as ministers and leaders in the congregation, including himself. He says, that's who I am too. And that's who Phoebe is. She's... She's, uh, and it says, and receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of all the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of, uh, of you. For indeed, she has been a helper. That word helper literally means to be set over or a guardian over. She's someone who's guarded the ministry and guarded me. So give her what she needs. What is he doing? He's, he's. He's validating the ministry of these women. Romans chapter 6, 16, verses 3 through 5, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Remember with them? They, they taught uh, Apollos. But this time, he says, he doesn't say Aquila and Priscilla. He says Priscilla and Aquila. Maybe she was more dominant, but he's using her name ahead of his name here. He says, by the way, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. Notice, my fellow workers. They're people who come right alongside me in Christ. Who risk, he didn't say the man is and the woman helps her, him out. He said they're my fellow workers in Christ who risk their own necks to whom not only I give thanks but also the churches and the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. It's interesting that her name comes first. But they're also fellow workers which involves preaching and teaching. Part of a husband-wife teaching team we see right here. Interesting that Priscilla's listed first. Paul's emphasizing her gift. Also about Priscilla and Aquila, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, it also refers to them as having a church in their house. So they pastored a house church or house churches. This is a pastor-co-pastor situation. Didn't say, well, it was the man and she kind of helped him out. No, they put them both, both there. Pastor, co-pastor situation. Priscilla being a co-pastor with her husband. Women are not disqualified to function in any role. When we see the gifts, again, in Romans 12, the gifts of the Father. Ephesians chapter 4, the gifts of the Son. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Women are not disqualified at all with any of those. Women are called to leadership in vital roles 
in the ministry of the early church and in the church today. God continues to call women to serve alongside men in the church today. And as in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God is still being poured out on all flesh. On all flesh. Women, you're not disqualified. Women, you're not held back. Women, you don't need to step aside. We all need to be under the authority God's called us to. We all need to have the fruits uh, and the calling that the Lord's called us to so that we don't become disqualified because we could all be disqualified. But he did pour out his spirit on all flesh. And we today endeavor to walk together in step with the spirit. Let me tell you this one more story as we close today. Worship team, you can come up. There was a, a gal named Nicole five years ago. Uh, we were at The Rock. And uh, Tiffany and I, as you know, we, the God uh, gave us the great gift to be able to, with my brother and sister-in-law, Tiffany and I were able to be founding pastors at The Rock and start the church years ago. I was a lead pastor about five years ago of the main Anaheim campus. And uh, I remember that the Lord began to put on our hearts the, uh, the call to reach uh, high school and young people for the Lord to really reach them in big ways. We called together a meeting, and I remember um, Brian Barcelona came to that to our meeting, and uh, Nick Vujicic, you know, he's the guy with, born with no arms and no legs. He came to that meeting, and we were all in a room in the meeting, and we were talking about Jesus clubs, Jesus clubs. He's, it's a way to get into public high schools through the Bible clubs that they can't really shut that down. So we would have Jesus clubs. And they, they saw, they would tell of these testimonies where they would go into East LA and these places and they would have like 200 people show up for Jesus clubs and would get all these young people saved. We really felt the call that the Lord was calling us to do that. And I remember praying about it. And the Lord put on my heart, Nicole Stark. Nicole Stark. And, uh, and I went and uh, asked Jerry, my brother, about it, went and asked our leadership. We prayed about it together. And we asked Nicole Stark to step onto our staff part-time and to start beginning to lead, 20 years old, beginning to lead these Jesus clubs. She started, went into one high school and, uh, and got dozens and then, and then more than dozens and started to get, you know, like 100 kids into this one school and then got into two schools and then got into three schools and then got into a bunch of schools in Southern California and just began to go in in public high schools and, and preach the gospel and lead people to Jesus and watched the Lord really do what was something. This last year, Nicole was praying. She became the, uh, the middle school pastor at The Rock, and which she still is now. But last year she was praying and the Lord put on her heart and said, I want you to have a backyard revival. She was standing in her backyard. I want you to have backyard revival. And that's not just a revival just for everybody out there, but right in your own backyard, right there where you are. The Lord put on her heart backyard revival. She brought it to her team. They began to pray about it. And they prayed about it. And they really felt like the Lord was calling them to have backyard revival at Angel Stadium. Seats 40,000 people. A year later, last night, they rented out Angel Stadium, seating 40,000 people. Listen, no, listen. I'm talking about a, a girl, a young girl. 20, she was 20 years old. The anointing of God came upon her. Thou, last night, I watched it online, thousands 
of people came out to Angel Stadium. We rented out Angel Stadium. I don't know if you know, that's, that's big. That's like the Liberty Bowl. And thousands of people came out. Many, 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 many came forward, gave their hearts to Jesus. And guess what? No guest speakers from the outside. Didn't have the big names out there to draw them in. Didn't have the big worship bands out there to draw them in. It was the youth group worship band. It was our worship band at the Rock. It was Nicole who stood up as the main speaker. <laughs> A woman spoke boldly under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And watch God move. Let me tell you, here's why I'm saying this. There's a lot of women who if they believe they're disqualified, they'll never step out. In fact, if you believe you're disqualified, you, you don't even have the ability to hear what God's saying because you're thinking, well, it must not be for me. It must be for someone else. But I believe with all of my heart the reason the Lord wanted me to minister this message, we're talking about why am I here? Ladies, you're here to make a difference. You're here to make an impact. And I want to pray a release of the Holy Spirit upon every woman in here today. I want to pray a release of the Holy Spirit upon every woman watching online, every woman listening. And I want you to be open to the Holy Spirit today. That, listen, and I think we can all agree on this, that whatever gifts the Lord has, whatever gifts and graces the Lord has given you and has called you to, that you would step up to do it. Because God wouldn't call you into something that's out of line. We all agree on that? Whatever gifts and graces God has called you to. And of course we do it again uh, with, with humility. We do it again in, under submission to the Lord and, and, and leaders. Uh, again, we do it with living the lifestyle that backs it up. Of course, oh, that's, for, that's all of us. We want to do that. But that we would be open to say, God, whatever you have. In fact, ladies, let me pray for you today. Would you open up your hands? I want to pray for the men too. Just a minute. Lord, I pray over every woman, young woman, old woman. I pray for every woman in here in the name of Jesus. Every woman under the sound of my voice. And I say just like the Bible says, this is what was spoken. The prophet Joel, that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Spirit of God, be poured out on every person in this room, men and women. Be poured out upon all flesh. Sons, prophesy. Daughters, prophesy. Men, servants, maid servants. I pray that the spirit of the Lord would be poured out upon every person in Jesus' name. I pray against limitations that we've put on ourselves, limitations that have been on women, limitations that have been on because of traditions and beliefs. I pray that they would be broken in Jesus' name. And I pray that the light of the gospel and the light of the word of God and the teaching of the word of God, Lord, I pray that it would release and break bondages and barriers that it would break strongholds, that it would break traditions, that it would break limitations in Jesus' name. And I say, women, you are anointed in the name of Jesus. You are called of God, anointed of God, released of God to do all that God has called you to do in the name of Jesus. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be released in the calling of God in your life. In Jesus' name. If 
Father, I speak over the men right now. Men, would you open your hearts? And I pray, God, would you teach us? Would you teach us how to flow with men and women together in the church? I pray that you teach us your truth. There's not just some well, I believe this or I believe that. No, there's one truth. There's what you intended. And I pray that you would reveal your truth. Men, would you pray with me? I pray that you'd reveal your truth to our hearts so that women would never be held back by us. In Jesus' name. In fact, men in any way who've crossed lines or suppressed or held back women, we repent of that right now in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, for a supernatural coming together of men and women in the body of Christ. Here at Memphis Tabernacle, I pray for a supernatural ministry and a coming together in Jesus' name. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Just give the Lord praise today. Thank you for it today. Come on, out of your own hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for it. Thank you, Jesus, for it today. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.